Welcome to this Summer Sabbath Sunday here at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Danny. And I'm Connie. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Hear God's word from the prophet Isaiah in the 55th chapter. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today we are on, as uh, Vicki has mentioned to you in her children's moment, it is the feeding of the 5,000 and then some. We are in Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21, passage we all know fairly well. Listen again with fresh ears. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured the sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you've been watching the news, you saw that 
John Lewis died, a longtime 30-year congressional representative from District 5 here in state of Georgia. And I watched the memorial service, uh, several great speakers, several former presidents, and one among them was George W. Bush. And so I want to share with you a piece that he shared at the memorial service. Uh, he starts talking about his humble start in Troy, Alabama, poor family, small town, small house, and his chickens. George W. says, I did a little research. Every morning he would rise before the sun to tend to the flock of chickens. He loved those chickens. Already called to be a minister who took care of others, John fed them and tended to their every need, even their spiritual ones. John baptized them, he married them, and he preached to them. When his parents claimed one of the chickens for family supper, John refused to eat one of his flock. Going hungry was the first act of nonviolent protest. He also noted in later years that this first congregation of chickens listened to him more closely than his colleagues in Congress and were more productive, at least chickens produced eggs. So this little bit of John Lewis's through George W. Bush gave, gives us just a little glimpse of his humble beginnings, how for John Lewis, this little congregation of chickens that he fed and were charged with became those that he fed, nurtured, and cared for. Our story today, we are in a similar place as there is a flock gathered. They are hungry. And Christ, their shepherd, their keeper, is seeking to care for them in a way that is under debate from the disciples. So let's look at the context. We're in Matthew 14, literally halfway through Matthew's gospel. And two big events have happened right before this. At the end of 1354 and following, Jesus goes home to his hometown, tells them that he is the one who has been called to bring release to the captives and heal the sick, cure the lame, and it is here where they say, what? This is Joseph's son. We know him. We saw him growing up. We know he's, he's just as much a mess as anybody else. And they rejected him. And on top of that, that ends chapter 13. He is rejected in his hometown. Then starting 14, we have the death of John the Baptist, which would have been traumatic not only for Jesus, but also for the disciples. John was right there with them from the beginning of the ministry. This is family for Jesus. We think John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin. They would have grown up somewhat in the same area. They would have known each other as their moms, Mary and Elizabeth, did. John the Baptist was the first to welcome Jesus and baptize him. And in John's gospel, Two of the disciples are standing there with John the Baptist when Jesus comes walking by and early calls them. 
And they kind of look at John and they say, John says, yep, that's the one. It's the one I've been telling you about. He's here, go. And so they go. They are very intricately woven with John the Baptist. And it is Herod, Herod Antipas, that wanted to kill John the Baptist for some time, but because he's popular and had so many followers and connections, John the Baptist did, Herod was afraid to kill him. So we know that story, that on Herod's birthday, and one of the reasons John the Baptist was in trouble and imprisoned by Herod was because John spoke against his marriage to his brother's wife, Herodias. That was against the law of the time and against what Herod should have been able to do. So Herod locked him up, but didn't kill him. So it's Herod's birthday. Everybody's been drinking. It's a party. Herodias' daughter, who later Josephus, uh, a Jewish historian, tells us her name is Salome. But here it's Herodias' daughter. She dances, and such a great dancer is she that Herod says, that was so great. After a long night of birthday, I'm sure the libations were flowing. I'll give you anything you want. You just, you just tell me what you want. And so she takes some time and talks with her mother. He says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so John the Baptist dies. And again, very close are these relationships with Jesus and the disciples. So that at the very start of our passage, verse 13, it starts with, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. Jesus and the disciples are grieving. Jesus seeks to get away from everybody so that he may grieve, that he may pray, that he may just be alone with God in this difficult moment. But those who follow Jesus are hungry for what they have seen and for what they have heard. They want more and they will not leave him alone. So they follow. And in Matthew's gospel, this is more of a desert scape. Jesus tries to get away from everything else so he can be by himself to go where nobody else is, and they follow him. That's why they're a little bit farther out from cities for which they could just run to and get food. So they follow Jesus. And Jesus decides, he sees them and has compassion on them and heals them. In the midst of his grief, he sees the needs of his people before him and he heals them. He cares for them. He loves them. He lays hands on them. He prays with and for them. Also draining and overwhelming for the disciples and really everybody gathered. So when that was over, evening had, was descending upon them. And the disciples now worried, say, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta cut them free. We gotta let them go. They're not gonna have time to get anywhere. They need food. They've been here all day. We've been here all day. We're all hungry. We're all tired. It's been a long, good day of amazing ministry, but it's time to go. And Jesus says, oh no, we need not send them away. 
you give them something to eat. My favorite passages right here. It's like Uncle Sam with that old poster, Uncle Sam wants you. This is Jesus. You give them something to eat. Uh, pardon me, the disciples say. We, we've got nothing, as Vicki indicated in her children's moment. We've got just scraps. There's up to 10,000 people here, Jesus. We don't have enough money. It, it would cost us six months of wages, even if we did, and there was a place to go that could provide all the food. But there isn't, and we don't, so what do we do? And it's interesting here that the disciples want to send the crowd away. Now they have some compassion for them. They want them to be able to have time to get to where they're going. But on the other hand, remember, they're exhausted. They are grief-stricken. They have been engaged in this huge environment all day. They have to be exhausted and worn out. The last thing they need is another issue. The last thing they need is another problem, especially one from their perspective they can't fix. How often are we like that? They wanted to dismiss the crowd because they couldn't really do anything about it. They didn't want to see those people who were hungry right in front of them, right in front of them. They wanted to let them go, disperse, then they can get about their business of their grieving, their rest, find themselves food, shade, lodging for the night, so on and so forth. There are so many crowds that present themselves in front of us. Our first task our first learning from this passage is that we have to be careful we're not dismissing all the crowds that are in front of us, meaning all of those people that are in need that Jesus places in front of us. Now, in that time and place, I'm sure there were a thousand other needs. Jesus had been healing them. These people are sick and sad and lonely. These people are without homes. They are traveling. They probably had, if there were 10,000 of them, they probably had 10,000 problems. But Jesus says, you know what? We're going to deal with this one because it's right in front of us. And it's something that we can do together. I know on a daily basis, we run across several communities, several opportunities, several visual cues, whether we leave our house or not, of people that are hurting. If we look at that and put that as analogous to the crowd that's there, our first challenge is not to send them away and dismiss them so we don't have to see them. Because out of sight and out of mind means we don't have to deal with it. Now, we don't want it to swing too far the other way and become so overwhelmed with the overwhelming need of so many people that we also feel powerless to do anything because there's just so much to be done, which is somewhat, of, I'm sure, of what the disciples felt, just hopelessness and despair. We can't do anything about this. We can't help them. They've got to go forage for themselves and figure it out. But Jesus says, no, you take care of them. They're right here. 
They're right in front of us and they are hungry. So what crowds are we dismissing and what crowds are we not dismissing so we don't have to see them and don't have to deal with them? That's number one. Number two, why did Jesus feed them? Why, like the disciples, couldn't he say, friends, it's been a long day. I'm as exhausted as you are. They've been sitting out of the sun all day. Just, just go, good luck, blessings to all of you. Go do your thing. But he didn't. Jesus loved those people there and cared for them and had compassion for them. Like John Lewis and his chickens, he refused to see them undergo harm. He had compassion for them. Compassion undergirds the ministry of Jesus Christ and is one of the basic pillars of what he was sent here to do to save to feed, to nourish, to walk with, to bring us out of our tombs in this life and the next. The word compassion, you just break it down, C-O-M, the root of that is with. And then passion comes from that Latin phrase, which means uh, uh, passio or pati, to suffer or to endure. When we call Easter week Passion Week, it's not because it's so inspiring, although it is. It's not because it's so meaningful and empowering, although it is. It is more aligned with the suffering meaning of passion in Christ. So if you look at the word compassion with suffering or with suffering and endurance, the official definition I want you to listen to of compassion from Merriam-Webster is this. Sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. Let me say that again. Sympathetic consciousness, so you're having sympathy for others, and the consciousness means you're aware of the distress of others. That's the first part. This is a two-part definition. So you are with people who are suffering in a sense of, oh gosh, that must be so horrible, I pray for them. Or it must be so horrible, I have sympathy for them. Sympathetic consciousness of others' distress, part one. And then part two, with a desire to alleviate it, it being the distress or the suffering. And this definition seems to indicate that compassion is not compassion without that desire to alleviate the suffering. Otherwise, it just stays sympathy. I can be sympathetic for other people, maybe in my situation that, have, that I've gone through things that I know other people are, I can be sympathetic. Even for those enduring trials and sufferings that I do not know or situations I haven't been taxed with, I still have sympathy for people who are suffering in any way. But that's just one. That's not compassion. Compassion is reliant also on the second phase of action, of seeking to alleviate that which is causing the suffering. I like that. 
and it's so crucial for Jesus. The disciples could have said, boy, I know you're hungry. And Jesus could have said, boy, I know you're hungry. I am starving. Good luck, friends. There's, there's no food here. I, you know, two loaves here, enough for one boy. And, and that's, that's all we've got. That's all we can do, which means we can't do a whole lot. I sympathize with you, friends. You are hungry now. Go with God. Be at peace. But to make that compassion, Jesus seeks to alleviate it. Now, we can't always alleviate the profound suffering in our life. I wish we had the power to care for one another like that. However, we do know that Christ is with us and seeks to move us through times of suffering and alleviate it for us or give us the tools to manage, to navigate, to survive, to keep moving forward. I think I've told the story before, but my men's group in my last church once a year would do a ramp build most of the time, it was in mobile homes, and someone had become wheelchair-bound, and there was no ramp. They had to be lifted in and out. So once a year, we would take a Saturday, and we would build one, maybe two ramps. And this one particular Saturday, it was miserable, miserable hot in the South, no shade, and we hadn't even started yet, and people were sweating, and I was starting to worry about folks until one of our uh, more jocular members says, uh, Danny, you know, if you could just heal this woman, then we won't have to build this ramp. Just go heal her and we're done for the day. Jesus didn't take away their hunger. And interestingly enough, the people never ask for Jesus to feed them. This is through Jesus and the disciples and then the disciples out with the food. But Jesus didn't take their need away, their hunger. He sent people to help them in that distress. He sent the disciples, you go to them. So Jesus has compassion for them and breaks the bread, and we don't really know the mechanism of that. It doesn't really matter. Because at the end of the day, all were fed. And again, Jesus didn't uh, break, break a loaf, throw it at each of the thousands of people. Another one appeared and threw it and throw it. And it, it didn't happen that way. He had baskets and he filled them up. And then the disciples went out to feed the others. Therefore, bringing them in, moving them from sympathy gosh, they're hungry, they've got to go find a place to be, to compassion with them suffering and to alleviate it. Christ works through us in the same way. We know that. We are being called with compassion, not just sympathy or even empathy, but to go to those that Jesus places in front of us whether it's an individual or any number of people, and see that as our hungry crowd. Compassion. Okay, preacher, but I, what, what do I have to give? Yes, they had fishes and loaves, 
This is the only story told in all four Gospels, the only miracle. The resurrection was miraculous, but not in the category that we put miracle stories. All four Gospels. It speaks to so much truth. Well, okay, like the disciples, okay, I won't dismiss a crowd, I'll engage, but what do I have to share with them? I will seek to be compassionate and alleviate some suffering, but what do I have to give? It's just me. Friends, God works through all of us, each one of us. We are given gifts, and we are told to go. God and Christ will bless us, and that that will be enough. There's a story about Mother Teresa. When she started her ministry, she wanted to start her orphanage. She went to her superiors, and she said, I have three pennies and a dream from God to build an orphanage. Three pennies and a dream from God. Mother Teresa, her superior, said, you can't build an orphanage with three pennies. With three pennies, you can't do anything. I know, she said, smiling, but with God and three pennies, I can do anything. And that remains true for us as well. The disciples were caught in looking at how the world operates and forgetting the majesty, power, and compassion of Christ who is right there with them. We often forget the same. Well, I don't have enough. And what, what does Jesus tell them, the disciples, when he, they tell him they don't have enough? He says, bring it here to me. Bring it here to me. And he blesses it, looks up to God, and it is enough, enough to alleviate their suffering. All of us are called to bring what we have. Christ says, bring it to me. Yeah, but I'm... Uh, schedule. Schedule is tough. I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not really that faithful. I, gosh, I don't know the Bible that well. I don't, I don't pray long enough. I don't read Scripture enough. I don't go to church enough. I don't serve others enough. I, you know, what, what, can I, what can I have? I'm, I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm, I'm too smart. I'm not smart enough. Gosh, I have too much money. I don't have enough money. I I don't have gifts from the Holy Spirit. I have gifts from the Holy Spirit, but what do I do with it? I live in fear. What, what can I blah, 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 blah. And Jesus says, you know what? Don't tell me about what we don't have. Tell me what you do have, and I will bless it. There's a great scene in Apollo 13 where Ed Harris, after... The three, uh, Jim Lovell and crew, are heading into outer space, and they're in space, and they go to flush the tanks, and there's an explosion, and they're emitting gases out into space. Everything is bad. All the scientists are running around, don't know what to do, don't know what to do, what do I do, what do I do? Let's work the problem, people. Get some focus. They're telling them everything is broken and everything is wrong, and he says, uh, 
let's look at this from a status standpoint. What do we have on the spacecraft that works? Now, all those insecurities, all those ne negative things I said, we place and give to Christ at the foot of the cross, and he will help us, guide us, lead us. Christ says, you are worthy. I have made you worthy through my sacrifice and resurrection. Stop being overwhelmed by what you think you aren't. Bring to me what you do have. So look in your life, in your heart, in your soul. See what you do have, not what you don't have. Take it to Christ. Let him bless it. And then with compassion, let us go into the world to love and feed in his name. Hallelujah. Amen.